the NFL and some of its advertisers are looking to keep the ball rolling after a huge Super Bowl. Plus, we're speaking with the producers of a new Apple TV docuseries on the New England Patriots. It's Tuesday, February 13th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The NFL just wrapped up one of its biggest seasons ever, and now it's going to try to keep the ball rolling into the offseason. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. So uh, the league enters this offseason with a couple of big questions, uh, namely around the stadiums of the Chicago Bears in Washington Commanders. Both teams are are looking for a new home. what's uh, What's the status report here? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big offseason for both of these teams. Um, potentially, in the best case scenario for both of them, they would get deals done um, with their public partners uh, to have new stadiums projects, you know, starting to get underway. And, you know, we have a date known in the future where they're going to be able to move into a new stadium. Uh, we've covered the Chicago Bears a lot. Uh, their list of potential suitors is kind of looking like the back of a concert tour t-shirt. Uh, you know, there's dozens of cities and neighborhoods that want to, um, you know, be the home of the new Chicago Bears uh, stadium should they move out of uh, outside of downtown Chicago. And then you have uh, the Washington Commanders under new ownership um, with Josh Harris and and his group kind of pitting uh, Virginia, Maryland, D.C. all against each other, trying to get the best deal for a, a new home for them. Yeah, it's the kind of funny parallel situations where the Bears have, you know, seemingly every Chicago suburb is throwing its hat into the ring there, but not all of them exactly have a, a budget to, uh, you know, to dump a bunch of public money on a stadium. Whereas the Commanders are in pretty enviable position of they can call themselves the Washington Commanders and have two and choose between two states and a major city uh, to try to get the best deal that they can. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch those play out. And obviously, you know, the legislative calendar impacts all of that. Yeah, and it's not the it's not the sexiest thing to, you know, look at the headlines of, you know, this council voted on this or, you know, this legislator uh, said that, um, you know, and a lot of it is just kind of this political jargon back and forth. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it, it is a big deal for these teams because, you know, I think both, you know, Soldier Field for the Bears and FedEx Field for the Commanders, these are old venues, um, you know, they're really losing out on a lot of revenue, particularly around suites, luxury boxes, things that, you know, you can do with newer venues, um, you know, and that that matters, right? The more money you have, the better practice facilities you can build, um, the more you can pay your coaches. And obviously these owners have other revenue streams, particularly in the case of someone like Josh Harris. But yeah, it, it makes a big difference uh, for the fans. And while the ins and outs of following the processes might not be that exciting, uh, you know, when these deals get done, they mean a lot for these franchises. Uh, another sort of open question that you know we Roger Goodell got asked about, and uh, we even did a poll on it, is how much the NFL is going to embrace streaming. You know, we've had uh, we had the playoff game that was exclusively on Peacock. Goodell saying that's not going to happen to the Super Bowl anytime soon, but you know we're, we're two years into the Amazon Prime experiment, if we can still call it that. Um, and yeah, it's we're we're 
the NFL is kind of moving this whole industry more towards streaming steadily, but obviously still has most of its weight planted in the over the air broadcast world. Right. I think it's really interesting to follow, you know, the Peacock games, regular season, and especially the playoff game, those exclusive broadcasts got uh, a lot of attention and scrutiny uh, from fans who were not in those local markets that didn't get to watch those games or had to pony up that five or six dollars for a Peacock subscription, at least uh, for one month and kind of lost in the Super Bowl shuffle was a report from the Wall Street Journal um, right before the weekend that uh, Amazon is coming in to take over that Peacock playoff game. So um, if that comes to fruition, then we should get an announcement that next year on Wild Card Weekend, uh, Amazon is going to be broadcasting its first playoff game instead of Peacock. I, I don't think there's any indication that we would have multiple playoff games on a streaming service um, in next season. Maybe that would be down the road. That really wouldn't uh, surprise me as the NFL kind of develops these new time windows. And, you know, they have so many playoff games now with the expanded field. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of opportunity and, you know, beyond the playoffs, even though, and I'm, I'm looking at what else can they fit into um, the calendar, right? We have this new game coming on Friday night of opening weekend. We know it's going to be the Eagles in Brazil, you know, you probably maybe, you know, CBS, Fox, ESPN buys that game. I, I'm assuming it's going to get sold to, to one of them, but maybe Amazon gets it because NBC is going to do their opening night uh, game with the Chiefs um, on Thursday night to kick off the season like they do with the Super Bowl champions every year. But who knows? There's all these international games that are just being played on NFL Network. Could the NFL move those games to NFL Plus? And you have to buy that to get it. I, I just think, at, and you know, the schedule is going to eventually probably expand to 18 games. So, you know, that brings in more streaming opportunities as well. Yeah, NFL Plus is an interesting variable here because right now it feels like the league is picking winners among streaming services saying Amazon's big enough to to host a regular weekly game. Peacock's big enough to host a playoff game. Um, but yeah, it, the NFL has its own streaming service, so which it could just say one at some point, you know, when it's not legally obligated towards someone else could just say, you know what, it's actually, <laughs> it's just our, our, our content. You got to go to, you got to pay us five bucks a month now. So be interesting yeah, to see where that goes. It is, it is just uh, fascinating to see how the NFL is able to just, you know, continually keep carving up uh, their pie. It's still the same pie, right? The only time that it expands is when they, you know, expanded the playoffs or it went from 16 regular season games to 17. But even then it's like, okay, now we have this new window and, you know, slowly, slowly taking games away from your traditional Sunday afternoon time slots to 930 in the morning from Europe to a Friday night game like we saw or Friday afternoon game we saw for Black Friday. And, and it seems that, you know, these streamers, uh, Amazon in particular, or somebody like NBC Universal who has a peacock that they want to drive subscribers for are more than willing to pony up a, a huge sum to get one of those exclusive games. For better or worse, not too early to look to the next big game in New Orleans. Uh, anything that you're thinking about for Super Bowl 2025? Well, I know everybody that covers Super Bowls loves to go to New Orleans because if you haven't been, I mean, who, who doesn't love going to New Orleans? Uh, you know, you go to the French Quarter, you get some drinks. It, it's a good time, whether it's the Super Bowl or the college football playoff or the Final Four that's there in New Orleans. They know how to host big parties, right? Um, so this will be the first Super Bowl. Uh, next February, back in New Orleans in the Superdome since the, uh, quote, Blackout Bowl 
when the uh, 49ers and Ravens played, it was the Harbaugh Bowl. And if you remember, the lights went out, at least partially in the stadium for, you know, the better part of an hour. And the game was delayed as a huge, huge story in the in the business of sports. So no doubt as we get closer to that game, especially if one of those two teams are playing in it, we'll have some memories of uh, that night. Yeah, absolutely. David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Owen. Super Bowl is a gambling frenzy where people bet on stuff that is essentially random, including the quintessential random thing, the opening coin toss. However, occasionally that means there is money on wagers that aren't as cut and dried as who wins the game or how many points a team will score. Sportsbooks learned that lesson when Reba McIntyre tacked on an extra The Brave at the end of her national anthem. One of the available prop bets was how long the national anthem would be. Suddenly, we have a philosophical question with money on both sides. Did the anthem end when she completed the song with the first The Brave? Or is it over when she's done singing at the second The Brave? The question for bettors became not what they bet on, but who they bet with. U.S. sportsbooks aren't allowed to offer bets on non-game events, but Ontario bettors can, and some U.S. bettors use offshore sites. BetMGM decided to make everyone a winner. The sportsbook paid out both the over and the under on bets around the length of the national anthem. DraftKings Network put out an article in favor of the under, and FanDuel staff said it should be the over. DraftKings later took down the article. Turns out being someone who has to make decisions that either cost a lot of money or elicit the anger of your customers is also the home of the brave. When it comes to Super Bowl ads, the way you can tell who actually made the most of their $7 million ad slot is which ones we're still talking about the next day. From where I sit, that honor goes to Dunkin' Donuts with their Dunk Kings ad featuring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Jennifer Lopez, and Tom Brady. I enjoyed that one, and Dunkin' is keeping the balloon in the air by releasing behind-the-scenes footage of Affleck, Damon, and Brady trying to throw a football through a donut-shaped target. I'll let you guess for yourselves who was the best at it of the three of them. The company is also selling the Dunk Kings tracksuits and pants worn by those three in the ad. Now you too can look just like a Dunkin' Hawking Ben Affleck while publicly embarrassing your significant other. And speaking of ads, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey now have three Super Bowls, are the highest paid QB tight end duo in NFL history, they are co-owners of the F1 Alpine team, and Kelsey is one half of America's most talked about romantic relationship. But by our count, they combined for one appearance in Super Bowl ads. Kelsey was in an Experian ad before the game. State Farm, which works with both Chief Stars, went with a different dynamic duo, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And that leads me to one more question, which listeners, I would appreciate your help here. Does the movie Twins hold up? Up next, I spoke to Sarah Bernstein and Justin Wilkes, executive producers of The Dynasty, The Rise of the New England Patriots on Apple TV. With that dynasty officially over, Wilkes and Bernstein took on the task of telling one of the biggest sports stories of this generation. You'll hear about how they did it right after this. All right, I am joined now by Sarah Bernstein and Justin Wilkes, executive producers of The Dynasty, The Rise of the New England Patriots on Apple TV. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So in telling the story of the Patriots dynasty, there's a lot of places you could start this. Where does the story start for you guys? For, for me, it starts as an underdog story. And, and admittedly, uh, growing up, I'm not a fan of the Patriots. Uh, I grew up in the New York area, so I had other allegiances. But of course, the Patriots and their reputation loomed large, you know, over over the history of sport. Um, but ultimately, when you look past the game itself, it's a story about human achievement 
And what I forgot about, and honestly, what I didn't even fully appreciate, was that for our three main protagonists, Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, each one enters this team as an underdog. Robert, as a local businessman, buys the team, which at the time was the most losing franchise in the history of NFL, but yet pays the most amount of money ever for a sports team at that point. So he's over leveraged. Bill Belichick had just been fired from his last job, not necessarily your top choice for a new coach, yet Robert sees something in him that's unique. And Brady is a last round draft pick when he enters the equation after uh, uh, Bledsoe, their star quarterback, is injured and suddenly Thomas to go in. So on paper, None of those people individually should have been able to accomplish what they ultimately did. But yet something about the three of them coming together, when they did and how they did, and what they ultimately needed from each other and as a direct result of each other, led this team to greatness. Uh, and I think that's really what this series is about at its core. It's, it's seeing humans at their best going from being ordinary to extraordinary. And was there a challenge to reorient the viewer from saying like, yes, this team was a dynasty, like they, you couldn't get rid of them. They're just like every year they're in the Super Bowl. But like, let's bring it all the way back to when uh, to when they were underdogs. It, did you did it take some work to kind of reframe how we think of the Patriots to to kind of get us into that mindset? Well, it, it does in the sense that we started linearly, you know, we literally start back in the in the late 80s into the early 90s. So we are able to set that stage. And honestly, for, and Sarah can speak to this too, you know, for any documentary that we have the, the privilege to work on, getting it to tap into an archive, especially when it's of a past subject, is the key. And in this case, between the Kraft organization and what they had documented, NFL films and prolifically what, you know, what they typically are able to document, we had over 5,000 hours of film footage. And not, that's not even game footage. That's literally behind the scenes. So there's a, just a wealth of opportunities to be able to tell that origin story that even if you're a fan, you, you're not in the room where it's happening the way that you are in this series. And I think just to add to that, I think even if you're not a fan, I mean, oh, and when we were warming up, I was telling you I wasn't the biggest football fan going into the series, right? But I think there is something, as Justin is describing, about being able to kind of relive actual moments within an archive as if they're playing again in real time. So for me, I think the, the project is really, or the series is really a succession story almost. You know, it really is a family kind of drama. And so what I was always riveted by was just how, how alive I felt reliving these moments or as somebody who, had, who maybe didn't live through the moments. Um, how exciting, riveting, and frankly engrossed I was in the story as it was being unpacked. And take us through this process of, yeah, so you said you have 5,000 hours of footage, and that's before you do interviews and create any other original footage for for the series. Um, how, and in some ways, it's it's a straightforward story. You've got, you know, the origin of this team that turns into a dynasty, goes from there. On the other hand, you still have to turn those 5,000 hours and your interviews into into a story that we can digest, you know, over a handful of episodes. Um, how big a challenge is that to, you know, call what you have into a cohesive narrative? Uh, it, it's substantial. And I think in this case, you know, it's a 10-hour series, which is, you know, much different than even a process if you were making, say, a feature documentary. You know, we had the benefit of... Um, 
Jeff Benedict's reporting in in the book that he wrote called The Dynasty. And you know, he had been invited in by the organization to essentially embed for a couple of years to be able to do interviews and testimonials and, and laid a lot of the groundwork uh, for from a structural standpoint, what the series is, you know, was sort of based on. Um, and yet, even for Jeff, who's also an executive producer and a writer on the series, the series can go a lot further than the book can, not only because the book ended at a certain period of time and two years later we have a series, but also just in terms of being able to interview and the emotion, you know, of an interview. And the interviews that we did went beyond even, you know, what he had done for the book. And so we knew what the basic story points were going to be, give or take. I mean, you know the wins and you know the losses and you know the, the scandals. So you kind of have that as the roadmap. Um, what we didn't know at the time was that Bill would eventually depart the team. That that obviously was was new and added an extra twist to the last to the last episode. But even in that, you definitely see, without giving anything away, the seeds of that departure and sort of what led both Tom to leave and then eventually Bill. Um, which is which is fascinating to watch again. Whether you're you love the team or you hate the team, um, it's mm-hmm. it's like you know, palace intrigue. And also, we had the benefit of our you know brilliant director. We had Matt Hamachek, who who is really an editor kind of by craft, or you know, we spent a lot of his career in an edit room. So I think when you have someone like that who is strategically thinking about how is this footage going to work? How do I live in the archive? How do I replay those moments? I think, um, you know, the end result is sort of what you see. I'm curious about, yeah, getting into some of the narratives around the team itself. I won't make you spoil the whole thing, though we, we know some of the plot points already. Um, but yeah, it's it's curious. It's interesting that you can see, yeah, the the eventual exit of Brady and, and eventually of, of Belichick. I'm wondering if you if there are any threads that, that you'd pull out in terms of like, yeah, you know, the Super Bowls, you know, some of the scandals, but um, but, you know, some other narratives that they we might not expect if, you know, we're just, all we know is this is a Patriots docu- docuseries. Well, one is, as I sort of was talking a little about before, is that underdog story, because I think you kind of take for granted the fact that this this team was the doormat to the NFL at the beginning of our story. So even just to see their rise to greatness, even just within the first season of Tom joining to ultimately then go on and winning the first Super Bowl, let alone what they ended up doing, you know, five, five more times after that. So that's interesting. I also think that for an organization that historically has been incredibly secretive and and has done a very good job um, shielding themselves from the outside, there's certain perceptions that you certainly have as a fan or as a, as just someone who follows the game. But to be inside the room when you're actually seeing those conversations taking place, seeing the emotion uh, that everybody brings, seeing the heart that everybody brings. There's, a, there's actually a great scene after they have that winning season where they literally win every single game leading up to the Super Bowl. And then, of course, they lose tragically to the Giants. Well, not time. tragically for all of us, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, as a New Yorker, maybe not so tragic. Uh, what you have, What I had never seen, because none of the players spoke publicly about it at that time, in both our interviews, but also in a camera that was in the locker room after that, you see just the raw emotion of what a loss looks like and how it just impacts. And people are literally throwing up on the floor. You're hearing grown men crying. Um, and to have the players today in the great interviews that Matt did reflecting back upon that and still have that same intensity and, and pain that they're revisiting you know, 10, 15 years later, it's it's pretty remarkable to see that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and your three protagonists, Kraft, Belichick, Brady, all of those are people who I think of as ones who, you know, aren't just like, they're people who don't necessarily show something if they don't want it shown, right? They're, they have a certain level of privacy as, you know, as is their right, but... Um, but, you know, some athletes, you feel like, you know, exactly what it would be like to, you know, spend some time with them, you know, have dinner with them. Um, with those guys, I don't really know uh, necessarily what it would be like to really, you know, get inside their their thoughts. Um, so I'm wondering what that process was like of, of drawing them out to the point where you feel like you're getting something authentic and visceral. Well, I this is, I think, relatable to any, any great documentary, um, you know, where ultimately there's a level of trust that you need to establish with your, with your subject. And in this case, uh, by Robert Kraft inviting us in in the first place, there was a level of trust by the work that Matt and Jeff Benedict did uh, in prep for those interviews and then during those interviews. And in some cases, multiple interviews. You know, some players we obviously just interviewed once, but others, Kraft included, you know, gave us a considerable you know amount of time the the honesty that tom brings to his interview and the emotion that he brings is not a tom that you've seen before i mean for a very public figure i think he's the most vulnerable in this that i've ever seen and for bill who historically hates talking about anything uh (laughs) even though he was still quite guarded opened up about things that he hadn't talked about either and then when you bring in you know, 65 other voices to the mix. I think we interviewed roughly around 70 people total. You really paint a a complete and honest portrait. And again, our job as filmmakers is to create that environment that people feel like they can open up and that they can feel like their life and their work is going to be respected. And, you know, when we, people think about that dynasty, they think of it as like, you know, Belichick is the brains, Brady is like, you know, the mastermind on the field. Um, and, since they've left the Patriots, and with Belichick, it's, it's still early. We don't, at the time of recording, don't know his next steps. But, you know, Brady, you know, he won another Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Uh, he's about to embark on a very lucrative broadcast career. He, you know, is in talks to own a slice of the Raiders. He's got a lot of business deals. Belichick is, um, you know, is is sort of more like still figuring out what his deal is. You know, is he going to be a coach? Is he going to be a, a TV analyst? How wanted is he? Um, as someone who thought that, like, if I was going to divide up credit, it was maybe like 55 to 60% Belichick and, the, you know, the the other parts to Brady um, during the dynasty. It's interesting to see these, these splitting paths here. And I'm wondering just um, as, as someone who's, you know, now spent a lot of time talking to and thinking about these people, uh, h- how you kind of see their their divergent paths right now? Um, it's an interesting question. If there's one thing I can say about Bill for the amount of time that we've spent with him in the context of, of making this, he's our, always 10 steps ahead of everybody else. So whatever he's going through, whatever we think he's going through, he's already well past that and on to the next thing. Um, and, I, and I think he, he was always like that, even when you see his earlier days in Cleveland or, you know, or, or after that as well. Um, but like I said before, each, each one of these individuals entered this team with raw talent and raw ambition, but it was truly the combination of all three of them that made them great and allowed them to go on and now do the things that they're all doing post post the Patriots with, with the exception of Robert, but post, you know, post, post the dynasty. And just for people, you know, curious about this docuseries, whether they're Patriots lovers or not so much, uh, anything else you'd add um, about what we can expect there? 
like, like I think what I had said earlier, I just think you can love the Patriots. You can hate the Patriots. You could not even have been exposed to the Patriots at all. If you stumble upon this series, I do think that you're going to be surprised and riveted by um, the power and the impact of, you know, what this team accomplished. And as we've been talking about the alchemy between these three main, you know, heroes in it. All right. Well, Justin Wilkes, Sarah Bernstein, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports Today and share an episode with a friend. We're always looking to reach new folks. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.